Jesse Nelson is here uh, from the Lenore City Church of Christ. Um, I was Facebook friends with him for a little while before we met in person, but I've been able to meet with him a couple of times now. We've had uh, breakfast and coffee, we've had lunch together, and honestly, every time I've been with him, it's been a joy, it's been a, it's been a, a treat getting to talk to him, to hear his thoughts, and I've come to believe that he is someone who not only cares about uh, preaching and does an excellent job, not only cares about the study of the text, but he's someone who genuinely and sincerely loves Jesus and is faithful in his life and in his family. And so I'm excited to have him here with us uh, so that we could all get to know him a little bit better. Uh, Jesse Nelson is originally from Jamestown, New York, where he and his wife Ashley met and started dating. They have been married for 11 years. They have four kids, Katrina, Leah, Olivia, and Benjamin. Uh, Jesse graduated from the Southeast Institute of Biblical Studies there at Carnes uh, in our area in 2012. He preached in Meadville, uh, Pennsylvania for four years and has been at Lenore City since 2006. He's been doing an excellent work there. Uh, that church has, uh, I think, really been blossoming uh, in the time that he's been there. He's an avid reader, he loves his family, and he serves the Lord with passion and joy. Uh, I'm thankful to have you here, Jesse. Preach the word. <clears throat> Make one correction. I haven't been there since 2006, but 2016, um, but I've enjoyed being in the area. We have learned to love Tennessee when we were actually at the school, back when it was known East Tennessee School of Preaching. Uh, we were the last class there under that name. We learned to love Tennessee, and when a job came open for us to move down here, we jumped at it, and we loved it. And uh, I appreciate Travis, appreciate his words. Um, I've appreciated his books that he's written. I've all used them and read them, and so you guys have a wonderful speaker here. I am loud, so you might want to, you know, kick me down a little bit. But I, I want to first say thank you to the elders and thank you for the invitation to come out to speak about why the message of Jesus matters today. And one of the reasons why this is so important for us is because a lot of people think that Jesus no longer has any value in society. Right? When you think about when people talk about religion and when they talk about faith, they have replaced it with so many other things today. Right? Science can replace it. Activities can replace it. Right? The United States of America, we have so many things, technology and you know, Facebook and media and travel. You know, though you know, inflation's kind of hurting people a little bit, gas prices are hurting, travel still at an all-time high, you know, spending still at an all-time high. So people still enjoy their things. And so one of the things that we come to realize is when you're talking with people about Jesus, they need to know why. What's so important about Jesus? And often when we speak about the gospel message, a lot of times, unfortunately, it gets regulated to quick and short answers, right? Death, burial, and resurrection, which obviously is a highlight of the gospel, but is that all there is to the gospel? Or sometimes we talk about our response to the gospel. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, right? Once you're done with that, you know that, you know the gospel. Well, I don't think so. I think that's a part of the gospel. I think the gospel is bigger than that, and I think it's more involved than that. One of the reasons why I chose this picture, if you have not seen the Chosen series, I think it gives a good representation of who Jesus 
would have been. And one of the reasons why I love it so much is because it makes Jesus look like a real man. He was the Son of God, absolutely. But when He came here, what is one of His titles that He continually calls Himself? He is also the Son of Man. Now, it's also a title in Daniel 7, but He lives out His life as a man. He's a real person who met real people, who dealt with real situations that wherever he left, whatever place he left, whatever teaching he left with the city or the culture that he was, what we read about is they were a better place because Jesus had been there. Well, where is Jesus today? Right? Where is he today? Jesus died, we know, right? Over 2,000 years ago. And so why does Jesus matter today? Wasn't he just a good teacher? Wasn't he just a rabbi? Wasn't he just a good man? Maybe he was a prophet. Well, the Bible teaches us that he's so much more than that. If you turn your Bibles to John chapter 5, we'll kind of start here tonight. John chapter 5, and I'm going to have to get a bell because I've got some Lenore City folk here who've come out to support, and they know that timing is something that I have a hard time controlling. So give me a five-minute something. You know, throw something at me, whatever you need to do. But as Jesus is discussing with the religious leaders of his day, Pharisees, Sadducees, those who are teachers of the law, they know the law inside and out, right? They are the people who, if you ask them to quote a Bible verse, what could they have done? They could have quoted that Bible verse. If you ask them what Isaiah had to say about a certain topic or what Moses wrote, they would have been able to tell you. And so it is more than just, right? It is more, it has to be more than just knowing the scriptures, right? There's something more about these scriptures. In verse 39, it says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And so one of the things that John deals with, one of the, you know, the topics or themes of the Gospel of John, is that Jesus is not just a man, but he is also whom? He is the Son of God, which means that he is God himself. And so what Jesus comes when it says that the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, or he tabernacled among us, we have God living in flesh and bones, showing us what does life look like. What does life look like? What does a person who proclaims the gospel message of Jesus, if you could say it looked like one person, who would you say it looked like? Right? Jesus would have to be the answer. You know, Jesus kind of can be the easy answer. You ever ask a kid what they learn about in class? And if they don't really remember, what's an easy answer? Jesus, right? Or what's an answer to a question? Right? Jesus. I remember one time I was messing with Jody Apple, who was one of my teachers, and he, he likes to ask questions that nobody would have ever known the answer for, right? You had to be in his head and in his brain to understand what in the world are you asking, Jody? And so I thought I'd be funny, and I'd just put Jesus. And he said, uh, he marked it wrong. 
So I went to Jody, and I said, Jody, I've got a real problem. You marked my answer wrong. And he said, what question are you talking about? And I showed him, and I said, look, I put Jesus as the answer. He said, yes, you're wrong. Jesus is not the answer. And I went, are you sure about that? I thought Jesus was always the answer. <laughs> right? So you, know, you try to be clever, but what we need to realize is when we are studying and reading scriptures, God is inviting us to get to know him. And ultimately, the way we get to know him the best is by getting to know whom? Christ. He will say in John chapter 14, hey, that if you want to know the Father, you, why do you ask me who the Father is? If you've seen me, you have what? You have seen the Father. And so Jesus is saying that these scriptures, yes, they are good and they are edifying, but only in as much as you recognize that Jesus is the central figure of the scriptures. And so I would say, and he goes on to say, that Moses wrote about me, and that if you really truly believed Moses, you would believe me. And so even our Old Testament, you know, a lot of times the Old Testament becomes this, you know, delegated and regulated to a, yeah, it can be helpful, there's some cool stories in there, right? Moral, you know, upright stories, let's try to be like David but really, what is the Old Testament for? And yet Jesus would oftentimes quote Old Testament scriptures. He would reference Old Testament stories as if they still breathe life into people today. Only if Jesus is at the end of every single one of those equations. Right? And so then he goes in John chapter 8, verse 12, and here's what he says. And this is one, one again, we're, we're getting, we're going to set a foundation, then we're going to kind of get into our application. Jesus again spoke to them, and he's speaking again to his religious leader, his disciples. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have what? The light of life. Here's one of my problems. A lot of times when we are evangelizing and talking to people about Jesus. We are trying to convince them that there is something better for them in the future, which that is very much a part of the gospel, is it not? But another aspect of the gospel is that Jesus says in John chapter 10, he says, I came to bring life and life more abundant. Right? Are you only supposed to have the peace of Christ one day in heaven? Are you only supposed to have the joy right, that surpasses you know, uh, understanding and peace that passes understanding? Are you only supposed to feel you know, the comfort of God's grace in the hereafter? Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when Paul is writing... And he's talking about God being the God of all comfort, and he's comforted me so that I can go ahead and comfort others. And remember, he says that I had, we even had the sentence of death. The way I read that is that Paul would have rather died than what he was going through. Either he was on death row, or had the threat of death, or he himself kind of wanted to give up in a moment on life. And yet, he says that God allowed him to go through that 
so that he would stop trusting in himself and that he would learn to do, do what? He would learn to trust God more. Don't rely upon self. Trust in God. Now, once again, is Paul speaking about a trust and a comfort that only comes one day? Or like in Philippians chapter 4, when Paul would speak about there are times where I had a lot, there are times where I had a little, there are times where I had a place to lay my head, didn't have a place to lay my head, right? But what does he say in Philippians 4.13? A lot of sports people usually put it on their t-shirts. I can do what? All things through whom? Through Christ who strengthens me. I like to read that a little differently. Because I can do all things. I believe he's really talking about I can go through all things. No matter if I'm rich or poor. No matter if I'm in, a, in, a, in a, a time in my life where things are going well, right? There are times in our life where it will be peaceful, right? Not every day of our life is going to be turmoil and stress and persecution, though that is part of the promise, right? If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. But even Jesus had times of rest, and he had times where he had followers and thousands of people would come out. There was even a time in Jerusalem, remember, when he comes in on a donkey, and everybody's saying, Hosanna, Hosanna! right? And yet, a couple days later, what are they yelling? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But never was there a time that Jesus did not live out the grace and the comfort of God. Even on the cross, into your hands I what? I commit my spirit. Even on the cross, he is trusting in the Father. And so Jesus is the light of the world, no matter how dark the world gets around us. And that's one of the reasons why I believe Jesus matters. You know, the worse a society gets, the more in darkness a culture goes and away from God, the light shines a whole lot what? It shines a whole lot brighter, doesn't it? Turn the lights off. All right, if I got up here and I had a lighter, how bright would that lighter be with all these lights? Right, you got these fancy lights. The first thing my son, when he walks in, he goes, is this a wedding church? <laughs> is this a wedding church? But if you had a little lighter, but if you turned off all the lights, how bright would that lighter be? And so as the world continues to go in darkness, what does the church need to do? If we're living out Jesus in our life, we ought to become the light of the world. Not because of us, Right? When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that you may do good works, you're a, a city set on a hill, let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works, so that they can ultimately glorify who? We sing a song, Let the Lower Lights Be Burning. If you know the background, supposed background of that song, Let the Lower Lights Be Burning, apparently there was this lighthouse that was kind of on this side of a cliff and at night, the lighthouse gives a whole lot of light, but once the boat got close enough, that lighthouse light, they had to basically go through this cavern almost, this little small river, and that lighthouse did no good when it got close. And so the lower lights would be all the houses on a hill that when they were turned on, it would light everybody's way. The lighthouse is the ultimate light, is it not? Jesus is the light, but we ought to have the light living in us. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And what he's trying to get his disciples to realize is that everyone who believe in me, you will not walk in darkness. You will become lights yourself. And then therefore people will also follow you. 
Look at verse 28 of John chapter 8. He's still speaking to them. They're not understanding what he's talking about. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as my Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Why could Jesus be the light of the world? Because He was always pleasing the Father. You want a church that is going to be a light into its community. What do you need to convince its members of? To always do the will of the Father. And he promises, right? He promises that if we follow him, he will be with us, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things that you worry about, that you have anxiety about, that you concern yourself with. I mean, how many people have given up God because they need to go find things in the world? They need to satisfy something about the world's desires and longings, and so they give up the one who can truly bring them life. Right? He, he's going to go on to say, so Jesus said to the Jews in verse 31, who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered, I love this, this is one of my favorite, favorite ironic moments of the Jews. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. You're kidding me, right? How many times have the Jews been in slavery? Currently, who are they enslaved to? Who do they answer to? Rome, do they not? They are currently enslaved, and yet they think they are so blinded. And that reminds me of people today I thought I was going to have my phone on me, but I don't. You ever go out to a restaurant and all you see is this, right? People on their phones. And you even suggest that maybe there's a problem, right, with their phone usage. What? This phone doesn't control me. I can put it down. I got messages. I'm important, right? You know, so we can also become so consumed with life that we think, I'm not enslaved to this world. I can give it up at any time. All right, do it. It's like the rich young ruler, right? Hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I'm, I'm a good Jewish law-following man. I'm a religious man. Okay, yeah, you've done some good things. Go sell all your possessions. Uh, not that, right? Not that. And it's interesting to me that Zacchaeus, a little bit later, if you're, if you're following Luke, he takes a, a huge money section, and he starts with the rich young ruler, and Jesus says that though it is impossible, it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Nearly impossible. Almost as impossible as a camel going through the eye of a needle. And then later, when he confronts Zacchaeus, who is a chief tax collector who's got money upon money, so much so that when Zacchaeus comes to Jesus, what does Zacchaeus willingly do? Give his money away, doesn't he? He's not asked to. He's not, he's not have to ask. He willingly gives up his possessions because he realized they have controlled him. And so a lot of times we've got to be kind of confronted with Jesus, right? We've got to be confronted with Jesus. Sometimes our... Our, um, our priorities have to be matched. 
right? How many Christians, if you were to raise your hand and I were to say, is God number one of your life? How many Christians would probably raise their hand? But if you started digging into their life and asking or looking and observing their life and their priorities, would their life say something different than their words? Potentially, right? I don't know you guys. You don't know me. And there are times even in my life I wish God was number one at all times. But guess what's not always the reality? I'm striving to be more like Jesus. I'm striving to be a better Christian. But I don't always live up to that. And so that's why I'm glad that God is gracious and merciful and loves me. And Jesus came to live that perfect sinless life for me. Right? And that if I trust in him, his words will set me free even when I live enslaved to other things. Not an excuse to live enslaved, but God is gracious, right? And the Jews are kind of a his history of that. Did every time the Jews enslaved themselves to another king or another god, God get rid of them immediately? No, he gave them time. Patience, sometimes he sent some plagues their way, right? Sent some not-so-pleasant things to kind of wake them up. And are there things in our life that we need to be woken up about? And then ultimately, John 17 in verse 3. We're only on our first point, so. John 17, 3, this is Jesus' prayer to the Father. And here's what he says. Well, I'm going to start in verse 2. He says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, this is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? We think, oh, eternal life, heaven, right? Mansions in the sky, gold streets, right? Eternal life is that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Why does Jesus matter today? Because the only way to know the Father is to know Jesus, right? John chapter 1, verse 18 tells us that he came to reveal whom? He came to reveal the Father to us. So for us to get to know the Father, his church has to get to know Jesus. And so I want to spend some time, what does it look like? What are some things that we need to know about Jesus? And I want, Ephesians is one of my favorite books, the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to preach the whole book tonight, right? So, so much for that ice cream social, okay? I won't do that. I'll just give you some highlights. First, you need to understand what can Jesus do for us. And the first chapter is just a bountiful, uh, you know, word vomit, right, of all the things that God has done for us. He loved us, lavished us, predestined us, blessed us, sealed us, redeemed us. I mean, it's just boom, 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 boom. But really, all it gets down to is kind of analyzing what verse 3 is saying. That all spiritual blessings are found in whom? All spiritual blessings in the heavenly are found in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you a question. How many promises has God given his people? I mean, I couldn't name them all, could you? Could you name all the things that God has promised that if those who would follow him, what they would receive? How many of them are outside Jesus? How many of them are inside Jesus? 
All of them. So who better you get to know? If you want access to all the spiritual blessings that are found that God could possibly give and all that He's promised, you better get to know who Jesus is and what He has done for you. Secondly, what can He do with us? I love, I love chapter 2 because chapter 2 is the but God. I know I'm sure you've heard that before, right? That's one of those but God, right? We who are, look at verse 1. Look at verse, I'll just, I'll just read this. And you who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Who follow, falls under this umbrella of once we're dead in our trespasses and enemies to God? Who falls under that umbrella? Every person who's ever lived. Jew, Gentile, Greek, barbarian, Scythian, right? You know, some person in Indonesia, Americans... Look at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us. And what He's going to do is He's now saying one of the greatest religious schisms in the first century according to the Jews were the Jews versus whom? The non-Jews. Jew and Gentile. Child of Abraham it don't matter how, really how you live sometimes. If you could identify, Abraham's our father, right? John chapter 8, I didn't go and read that far. But they tried to claim, hey, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, no, he's not. If he were your father, you would do the things Abraham did. And yet, what did, what did Jesus, was, was he able to do between the Jew and the Gentile? He says he tore down the barrier, right? Tore down the wall of separation. And he made two groups into one. Now look at verse 19. After he makes them into one, look at verse 19. It says, so then you, and he's talking about the Gentiles. We were foreigners, right? We didn't have the promises of God. We were without hope, without Christ, all those kinds of things. Yet in Christ, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He can take people who were dead in their trespasses and he can breathe new life into them. He says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Just think about this for a moment. Have you ever gone and read or seen pictures of what the temple would have looked like? How grand and glorious and amazing Solomon's temple, Herod's temple would have been. You know what's a better temple? All coming together, no matter what nation you come from. I'm a Yankee, right? I'm a Yankee. And I've always told you Southerners, I've always been told you Southerners are a little in the head. And I'm sure you've been told some things about me. Since I've moved down here, 
I go back up north, and now they think I'm in the head. Right? But you can bring people who, if it weren't for Jesus, I would have never come in contact with any of you. I can go over to any country in the world and find Jesus' people and instantly have a connection with them. Tell me what politician can do that. Tell me what government can do that. Tell me what world power can do that. And do it as effectively as Jesus can. Different races, different backgrounds, different religions, people who once hated each other, who really, by the standard of the world, ought to hate one another. And yet he can bring them together, and he can form a community that is so strong that in the first century, Rome became so scared they tried snuffing them out. And you know what they realized after a couple hundred years of trying to snuff the Christians out? You ain't defeating those guys. The more we kill them, right? They're like Hydra, right? You cut off one head, what happens with Hydra? Two more sprout up. All right now, we're not Hydra. You know, if you've watched the Marvel movies, I'm not a Hydra guy, all right? But, illustration purposes. Then chapter 3 is my favorite. What can he do in us? As individuals, what can God do for us? Look at verse 14 of Ephesians 3. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Does that seem like some promise you're going to get one day in heaven? Right? When Jesus comes back, once again, that's going to be a glorious day. There's going to be a whole lot of rewards, a whole lot of promises, and I'm waiting that day. Right? As Paul says, you know, to die is gain, right? Or to die is Christ, but to live is gain, right? No matter what I'm doing, I'm living in the kingdom of God. Whether I'm here, I have blessings, but I'm awaiting my eternal home. I am. But he has strengthened us in the here and now in our inner beings. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and to know the love of Christ. What gives you strength? What gives us strength is to know how much Jesus loved us. So we have to get to know Jesus. And he says the more we do that, then when we start asking for things from God, what is he able to do? Far more abundantly than we could ask. You know, a lot of times, there are times where I look at what God's plan is for his people, and then I listen to their prayers. Sometimes we think so little of ourselves. Our prayers are small. And that's okay, right? That's okay to have small prayers. And God takes those small prayers. He goes, you know what? You're asking for this little thing, but I'm gonna, right? Like the church of Philadelphia in Revelation, remember? You are small. You think you're small, but I'm opening big doors for you. Just walk through by faith. Okay, application time. Ephesians, the rest of the book, is all application. He starts in chapter 4, Therefore, Jesus in his church. Here's, when we're talking about evangelism and we're talking about people, first and foremost, I'm going to try to say this in the nicest way possible. I used to be a part of a church that no matter how much I can convince somebody that I'm a follower of Jesus, and when I was talking to someone in the community and talking to them about Jesus and giving their life to Christ, you know where I was scared to bring them? 
to the church. You want to know why? Because the church wasn't anywhere near what it ought to be. I've even had moments and times where we've brought some of the church, we've converted them, we've baptized them, two or three weeks, three, two or three weeks later they're gone because somebody in the church wasn't behaving in a way they ought to be towards them. So if you want to focus on evangelism, if the church ain't right, why bring people into a place? And people feel it right away, don't they? You, walk, you ever walk into a church, you ever visit? You walk into a church, you kind of go, ooh, this ain't the friendliest of places, <laughs> right? Where's Jesus, right? <laughs> Where's Jesus living and breathing into these people? And sometimes it's, it's the preaching, right? It's our preaching. We, we bash and we bash and we hit and we hard and, you know, you've got to be perfect, perfect. And Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to strive for. Jesus is a huge target, but we also have his grace and mercy and love, and we're just imperfect people who are following Jesus. And Jesus has promised us that if we believe in him and trust in him, he didn't say is if you're doing everything right, right, exactly 100% correct all the time, then you will be free. If you believe in me, my words will set you free. And his words also have the power to help us grow. Because, as Ephesians 4 says, right, one of the works of the leadership of the church is to equip the saints for the work of service, right? And as they're equipping, and as we are speaking the truth in love in verse 14, he says each individual part is working together for the growth of the body. You want a... Good thing we're on the last slide. You want a church to grow? Don't hire an evangelist. Hire a preacher. Travis, I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to get you to lose your job. Don't hire someone to do your evangelism. Hire someone to equip you to evangelize. Because let me tell you, I'm looking out, and I'm sure there are a lot of different people who work a lot of different places in Maryville, right? Can Travis or the elders of them be at all your workplaces and all your family functions and everywhere you are in the world? No. Are you there? So who's the representative of Jesus when you're there by yourself? Who represents Jesus? You do. Every joint must work together, big or small. Okay? Big or small. And all you have to do, right, if you know what it takes to be a follower of Jesus, you have to know because you are a follower of Jesus and you one day had to figure it out. What do you need to do to follow Jesus? All you need to do is tell other people and explain to people how great Jesus is and how wonderful Christ is and the blessings that are found in Jesus, right? And that, hey, I'm a part of this body that is working together. We're imperfect at times. We're, we're working it out, but we're trying to strive. Okay, so Jesus needs to be found in his church, and i got to skip some stuff, but go read the book of Ephesians tonight. It's not going to take you very long. It's rich if you think of these things. Ephesians 5 talks about Jesus in our world. What do Christians need to be doing? Well, let's just read, let's just read a couple verses in Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, but sexual immorality, all impurity, or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper of the saints. Are there things that if you are going to be an accurate 
representative of Jesus, you need to not be doing. Right? Can you claim to be a follower of Jesus and also live like the world, completely giving into it? What's some other things? Therefore, let no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He just got done saying in the end of chapter 4, if you were once a liar, no longer lie, but speak what? Speak grace to people. Speak things that will build people up. If you were once a thief, no longer steal, but now give. Be a giver. Right? All these things that you used to be, Jesus needs to change the individual as well. Because the church collectively, how much of the world does the church see when the church gathers together? All right, we got walls, we got barriers, people aren't seeing in here. We might get some visitors from time to time, but individuals got to go out. But individuals have to be representing Jesus, don't they? Because he goes on to say, look at Ephesians chapter 5. He goes on to say, Take no part, verse 11, in fruitful, unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is even shameful to speak about the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know, unfortunately, when we are all talking to people, I guess some things we got to talk about. we got to deal with sin, don't we? we got to talk about sin. But one of the best things about Jesus, he's got an answer for your sin. He's got a way for you to overcome your sin. He's got a way for you to not have your sin being hanging over your head for the rest of your life. You ever met those people who thought they were not good enough for religion? I'm too bad for Christ. I've done too much. I, I just, I, God can't forgive and save me. Yes, he can. Paul would say, I'm the chief of all sinners, boy. <laughs> right? If he can save me, he's used me as an example of grace. If he can save me, he can save you. All right? If he saved the people who were outside, you know, uh, the Sanhedrin, yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and Jesus on the cross can say, forgive them, for they know not what they do, I don't care what you've done. He can save you from it. As long as you're willing to give your life over to whom? To Jesus. All right, you've got to give it over. And then, here's the beautiful thing, why Jesus matters today. Imagine a world where people were running around, acting, acting and behaving like Jesus. What did Jesus go about doing? He went about doing good. You go back so many years, why were most hospitals started? Who were most hospitals started by? Orphanages? education systems, colleges, who were they started by? Christians who believed that they need to impress goodness onto this world. Who does the most charity in the world today? Those who claim to be followers of Jesus. Why? They want to be Christ-like. Imagine if more people, and, and it, it amazes me when people talk about all the bad things Christians have done. And there are a lot of things that have been done wrong in the name of Jesus, but that's not a good representative of Jesus, right? Hopefully the church in Maryville is a good representative of Jesus. Hopefully the church in Lenore City, it's one thing we're impressing on our people. Hey, you, hey, Lenore City, if we want to save Lenore City, 
they got to stop thinking about us from our past. Because Lenore City has a rough past of being some rough, you know, individuals who were more worried about getting people out of their building than getting people in their building. That takes a long time to change that, doesn't it? All right, there are trust issues when you've burned so many people. And so Jesus' followers got to be Jesus-like, but then it starts translating, look at this, it starts translating into our marriages. Imagine if Jesus was infiltrated into people's marriages. Imagine if Jesus was the star in every person's marriage. How great would marriages be? What's the divorce rate today? I think it's over 50% within first marriages. And I was just reading a stat that it's over 70% in second marriages. So getting rid of a new one is actually worse <laughs> than just sticking with the first one. <laughs> getting a second one sometimes can be worse than just sticking it out, working it out. But if Jesus was center stage in our marriages, we would have husbands who are loving their wives like Christ loved the church. Imagine a world where men love their women, love them sacrificially, didn't treat them with disrespect, didn't treat them as lesser individuals, lesser creatures, right? But actually loved them. And then women who in return were willing to submit and serve. And if you think service is a bad thing, submitting is a bad thing, then you think Jesus' life somehow, what did he do for his entire life? He submitted and served, didn't he, to the will of the Father? Can't be a bad thing. It's got to be a great thing. And then ultimately, what should husbands do to their wives in return? The Bible teaches in 1 Peter chapter 5 that everybody should submit to one another. Because at times we all need each other to take lead sometimes in our lives to help us. How many husbands are in church because of their wives? There are more husbands that come to church because of their wives than wives who come to church because of their husbands. That's a stat. But guess what, parent, what, guess what kids need if they're going to have the best shot to remain faithful? And guess what the stat is? If it's just a mother, they've got like a 13% chance. If it's just a father, it's like a 45% chance. If it's both, it's over 80. And this isn't just people who put their butts on a pew either. All right, coming to church, being a Christian is not putting your butt on a pew. You're not butt warmers, okay? You can buy those at the store. They're cheap. You are the church. You are Jesus living and breathing, and our kids need to see it. So in the next chapter, Ephesians chapter 6, where he says that, parents, you are to train your children up in the Lord, what does that mean? They need to know Jesus, don't they? They need to know Jesus. And imagine if more families were centered, their life was centered around Jesus. Unfortunately, is that the first bell or the second bell? That's the first bell. Okay, so I got five more minutes, I'm good. Imagine a world where sports took second seat to Christianity. I don't mind sports. Played hockey my whole life, loved it. My grandfather started hockey in my area, but I'm going to tell you, hockey became my slave. And there was a moment in my life I had to choose hockey or Christ. I'm thankful, and it's been probably, what, 12 years, I think, since the last time I strapped skates on. I'd love to, but I know the pull it has on me. I love the feel of being out on the ice, have the wind, but I love the feeling more of following and serving God. It's a whole lot more fulfilling than winning a championship game than receiving the crown of life 
at the end when Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And sometimes, by the way we live, we wouldn't tell our kids this. You know, we try to balance. Hey, I know we're missing a lot of church, we're missing a lot of this, we're missing a lot of that, but sports, you know, you have time to serve Jesus later. No, they won't. No, they won't. Train your children up in the Lord. I'm not saying not to play sports, and I'm not here to beat up on sports. But it can be a blinder, and we sometimes can't even realize it, and we will make excuses for it. But it's team camaraderie. They need it. Well, you don't have a youth group with team camaraderie? Right? You don't have a church that has a community to build each other up in love, work together? Hey, it sounds like a great plan to me. And finally, finally, Jesus is in all of our battles. Unfortunately, one of the reasons why I think Jesus matters more and more, like the real Jesus and the real message and the real gospel, I don't like Facebook and Christians. You want to know why? And I might get in trouble. This might be the last time I'm asked to speak here. I'm sorry, Travis. He did not tell me to say any of this. We let people know what we are serious about on Facebook, don't we? Politics, at times, can become our God, can it? I mean, we put enough time into it. We'll divide over it. We'll be hateful over it. We'll spend time posting, posting, posting. You know what I have found? You want to convert someone who you think was the proper party, whatever that may be? Why don't you teach them about Jesus? And if Jesus is controlling who they are, that party that you think is evil on either side, Jesus isn't evil, is he? Jesus is good. Jesus has good morals. Jesus was a good man, a good person. You want to convert people to good moral behavior? Convert them to Christ. Spend more time trying to teach them the gospel than teach them party lines. And so here's what he says. So here's what we need to realize is verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers and authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know what Paul's telling us? Those people who we think are our enemies here on this earth, they are also entrapped by who? They're entrapped by Satan. They're entrapped by sin. They're entrapped by a snare. They are not the enemy. No matter how sinful of a man may be, Do you understand why people were a little um, hesitant to bring the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, into their building? Because he's the enemy. No, he was not the enemy. Satan was the enemy. And when Paul, even Paul, chief of all sinners, when he converted to Christ, you just made an enemy what? Your brother. Jude says that you are to snatch them out of the fire. We need to see people in the world, in our communities, no matter what they say on social media, no matter what comes out of their mouth, as Jesus says, they do not know what they're doing. But how are they ever going to learn if it's not through the church, Jesus' followers, having Jesus living in them, speaking the truth? Are there times we got to say hard things? Yeah. But what does Paul say? Speaking the truth in what? 
love. He would say in Colossians chapter 4, have all your words seasoned with grace. Right? Do I give an invitation? Or do I end there? Well, thank you. That's, that's the end. Um, I had more, but... If you want to come forward, Jesus is always here and ready for you. So I'll, leave, I'll give it up to Travis. Thank you so much. Uh, seriously, a lot of uh, challenging and helpful thoughts and encouragements. I think each of us can take something home and uh, try to apply it to our lives throughout the week. Uh, thank you so much for your attendance here. Be sure and get to know Jesse while he's here. Um, be sure and come back next week. Uh, we will continue the series. I think it's going to be a blessing to you. So thank you very much. Uh, I think we're going to have a closing song and a closing prayer.